0: Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody today. So we just got back from the men's retreat last night. If you're here and you went to the men's retreat, raise your hand. Oh, wow, look at that. There's tons of people here. We had such a great men's retreat. I was just really encouraged by what great men we have in this church. It was so fun to to spend time together. And our, our goals, we basically had three goals And the first was to just lay a foundation for genuine relationships, and that happened. Um, Every time there was free time, people were connecting up, talking, and it was just really cool to see. We also wanted to really challenge the men in our church to lead their families, to lead themselves, to contribute in the church. And uh, that's what we did. Um, You know, ultimately, we are not in control of anything, but God intends... That we be an influence where he puts us and uh, it was just so fun so we had um you know three men from our church speak so our theme was uh the building the body of christ and just that as believers we have gifts and god intends us to use them in the church he intends us to use them in our families and so we just thought hey for this year's men's retreat let's just have some men in our church teach and so we had jordan and Justin and Russ, and we taught through Romans chapter 12, and by we, I mean them, and it was so good. You know, I've, I know all those guys, but I learned more about them and, and came to appreciate them more hearing them speak. It was really just a challenging, encouraging time. And so uh, that was great. Anybody who encouraged their husbands to go to the men's retreat, some guys were saying that. I took a picture and said that wives texted me to make sure their husbands were really there. But uh, I do have, a, I do have uh, pictures and proof of all the guys that were there, but it was just, it really was such a great weekend. I'm just kidding, but thank you for encouraging your husband. You know, all these things. Um, anytime there is an opportunity for ourselves, our spouses, our kids to be built up and encouraged. man, everybody gets needs to get behind that and encourage that because we need that. And uh, Satan's going to attack. So if your husband went to the men's retreat, he probably came home. He probably got in a conflict. I mean, Satan wants to mess up the good things. That, well, okay, not everybody, but, you know, maybe somebody. Satan always wants to mess up the things that God is doing. And so... Um, don't let anything be a hindrance or a discouragement to the great things that God did. <laughs> we got people raising their hand. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, anyway. Let's get let's get going on why we're here this morning. If you have your Bibles open up to 1 Corinthians chapter um, 2, verse 12 through 16. And um we are going to be uh looking at Spiritual Wisdom, a Mark of Regeneration. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. And uh, one of the things that I think about with this passage is this passage is powerfully encouraging. It is powerfully encouraging. If you've ever wondered if you could possibly be all that God intends you to be, this passage is a guarantee that you can be who God wants you to be. Most people, or many people, fail to live up to who they are in Christ, but it doesn't have to be that way. And one of the things I love about the calling of God and about God's hand in people's lives is that it's not this pressure. It's not a life of regret. It's not a life of constantly feeling like a failure. That is not what the Christian life is. Um, It is um, an incredibly... An incredible blessing, a beautiful calling, full of forgiveness, divine empowerment, pr- protection, and God's strengthening. And that's what it is to be a Christian. I think about Jesus' words. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of the reasons that our yoke in Christ is easy and that our burden is light is because salvation is accomplished by the work of Christ. And when you become a Christian, God spiritually regenerates you, He gives you a new heart, and actually, the Holy Spirit lives through your life. So God saves you by His work. And God actually, through the Holy Spirit, gives you the power to live the way God intends you to live. And uh, we know that we have a sinful flesh that can get in the way, and God's given us the church. God's given us his word. Like there's all these things that we do to live up to who God has made us to be. But it's not this, this burden, this weight, this pressure of trying to perform. In a sense, it's just saying, okay, what does God say is true how do I feed that in my life and live that out? And so that's what we're going to see. You know, this passage is so important. It really shapes our worldview. It's really convicting. Um, it is something that if you don't understand this passage today, you will not understand salvation. You won't know. You won't be able to recognize salvation in your own life. And you won't be able to recognize salvation in the life of another person. Like this is a key passage for a Christian's life. You know, Satan does not want you uh, to know and understand this. He He wants you to be ineffective, unproductive, misguided, and discouraged. That's what Satan wants for you. He wants you to miss every opportunity that God gives you to do ministry. Satan wants you to do ministry or to come to mind the things that God wants you to do. He doesn't want you to realize that until it's too late. And uh, this passage is incredibly important. So we're going to see three things. The first thing is that God's Spirit indwells Christians so that they will understand truth. The Holy Spirit living inside you... Guides you to truth. And we're going to think about how powerful and how encouraging that is. The second thing, and this is amazing, but the teaching and the receiving of God's word and of God's truth is something that the Holy Spirit does. That's why that's so encouraging. In a sense, I mean, you can let your flesh get in the way, but ultimately, you can't mess it up because God does it. And the third thing, and this is really uh, an amazing blessing, is that as believers, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And so we're going to have to talk about what that means. You ever met Christians that disagree about doctrinal things? We'll have to think about why does that happen if we all have the mind of Christ. So we'll talk about that. So 1 um, Corinthians, we've gone through some powerful things. Let's jump into this and look at what a few verses. We'll start in verse 6. And look at what we, um, what we learned last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Yet among the mature, we do, not imp- we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know, Paul's just talking about how the Jewish nation and the Romans missed who Jesus was. They didn't understand. And it's because the Holy Spirit hadn't opened up their heart. It's because they didn't respond to the things that God had made known to them. They suppressed that truth. And so they they missed it. And it goes on in verse 9, and it says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Man, God's truth, a relationship with God, what God has in store for us is you can't even express it in words it's so good. We have an amazing God. And the Bible goes on in verse 10. It says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And that brings us to our passage this morning. And here's the first thing that we're going to see Is that God's spirit indwells Christians so that they will understand. Look at verse 12. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Have you ever felt like God's will is, man, I really want to know what God's will. I really want to discover God's will. And, and, and sometimes we can have this impression like God's hiding it from us. Like he doesn't want us to find it. He's trying to make it complicated. And, oh, I have these, all these choices. What am I going to do? How do I know what God wants me to do? Here's the thing we need to all understand is that God wants you to know his will more than you want to know it. And so God's not hiding it. He has actually given us the Holy Spirit so that we will understand. So let's just think about verse 12 because this is a key. This is actually a passage about what salvation is. And it just says this, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. You know there's only two spirits. There are only two paths in life. Jesus talks about the narrow road. That's the Holy Spirit. And the wide road, that's Satan. And there are all kinds of ways that you can follow Satan. There are all kinds of ways that you can have the spirit of the world. You can be an atheist. There are hundreds of religions. Pick anyone you want, it's all the wide road, it's all going to the same place. So you either have the spirit of God or you have the spirit of Satan. And what Paul is saying is that if you are a Christian, you have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God. So um, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that. Let me just read this, Ephesians 2, 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so everybody starts... In the power of Satan. Everybody is born lost. You know often you have parents that are afraid to mess up their kids and I always try to just encourage parents or I've heard people that they're afraid that if they share the gospel they might do it wrong and mess something up and what I try to encourage people about sharing the gospel and what I try to encourage parents about parenting their kids is don't worry about messing up your kids. Don't worry about messing up when you're sharing the gospel and making things worse uh, because it can't get worse. Your kids are already messed up. You don't have to mess them up. They start messed up. And, and all the people you know that don't know the Lord, they are on the road to destruction. And I think it's a lie from Satan to encourage people to be passive, to back off, to wait till they're ready. No, don't wait till you're ready. Just do it now. You can't hurt people. They're already dead. I remember my brother-in-law, is was a doctor, and I was asking him, um, you know, when he was in medical school, this was like 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and when he was doing his residency and he was telling me about you know, this guy that had coded, and they brought him into the room, and he's doing CPR, and and I just said, does that ever stress you out when they bring these people in who've been in car accidents or somebody codes in the hospital and and you're trying to revive them? And he goes, no, I I never get stressed out about that. I just try to act. I try to act decisively. I don't worry about killing anybody because they're already dead. I'm just hoping I can do something to save them. It's like people who need CPR, and, and you're doing CPR on the ch- their chest, one of the things people tell you is don't worry about breaking their ribs. You push all the way to make that heart pump. And if, like, if we're so tentative, oh, I don't want to break their ribs, the person's going to die. When it comes to shepherding, being involved in, in our kids' lives, sharing the gospel with people who are lost, don't worry about messing up. Worry about not doing it. And so there's only two spirits, and uh, the spirit of Satan and the spirit of Christ. And if you're a Christian, you have the spirit of Christ. Have you ever wondered what makes a person a Christian? Have you ever wondered what is a Christian? How do you know? You know, I'm thinking about uh, what if somebody prays a prayer? Like how do you know when somebody becomes a Christian? If, a, if, a, if you share the gospel and a person comes to you and they pray a prayer and they say, Jesus come into my heart, and save me. Is that what makes somebody a Christian? What about going to church and doing lots of good things? Does that make a person a Christian? Like, how do you know if a person is a Christian? See, people who profess Christ and people who say they're Christians, people who pray prayers... They're not necessarily Christians. I mean, Jesus said that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I cast out demons and do miracles in your name? And I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. But isn't it amazing how often people will look at somebody's life or they'll think about their own life and there's nothing in their life that would reflect salvation. But they go, I remember when I was a little kid and I prayed a prayer, I'm a Christian. You know, as a kid growing up, um, I have a heart for this because this is my life. As a kid growing up, my mom taught good news clubs. And uh, every single Friday, I would pray to receive Christ. But guess what? I was not a Christian, I was ruled by the flesh. I did, what, I did what I wanted to do, and it wasn't actually that I didn't know or even believe who Jesus was, but I had the belief of a demon. James chapter 2 says, even the demons believe and shudder. It's not just intellectually knowing. So what does it mean to receive Christ? What, what about doing good things? What about going to church every week? Does that make somebody a Christian? Because often we'll go, well, this person goes to church all the time. Well, so they're a Christian then? This person says they're a Christian. Oh, then they must be a Christian. You know, churches are full of people who don't know Christ. When you think about all the ways that people measure themselves or other people, often they actually miss what the Bible's talking about, they actually miss what God says about who a Christian is. See, a Christian is a person who has the Holy Spirit, whose heart has been regenerated. You know, Matthew uh, 23, verse 27 talks about the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Outside, you look really good. The outside, that whitewashed tomb that the Pharisees had... That is what I think 90% of people would use to measure a Christian. 90% of people would look at the Pharisees. They tithed the mint and the dill. Um, They were teachers of the law. They sat in the seat of Moses. They knew the Bible. Like what if somebody's a seminary professor? What if somebody is a pastor? Does that mean they're a Christian? You know what's amazing to me is I've gone to pastor's conferences. And at those pastor's conferences, men who have been pastoring churches for 15 years have become Christians at a pastor's conference. They've realized, I studied theology and I did all this stuff, but actually, I never really knew the Lord. See, there's a lot of people that would look at a Pharisee and say, oh, no, that Pharisee, that religious person, that's a Christian. But Jesus says that they are full of uh, dead men's bones and uncleanness. In fact, he says of the Pharisees that they are sons of hell. And everybody who follows them learns to be a son of hell. How do you know if the people you're following are sons of hell or if they're actually teachers that you should follow? You know, 2 Timothy 3.5 talks about false teachers that come into the church, and it says they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of the gospel. Uh, knowing theology. Man, there's all kinds of false teachers in the New Testament that, that they come into churches, and they know the Bible very well. Man, they can quote verses. In fact, the president of the Evangelical Theological Society. So this is like theologians, pastors. They write papers and they get published. And so the president of this theological organization is a Christian. And several years ago, he abandons Christianity and joins a cult. And everybody's like, how can that happen? I mean, this guy's like an expert in theology. So is it, Um, How many verses a person knows? Is it if they can really explain theology that makes a person saved? Well, this is what it comes down to. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it goes on and it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is a non Christian who is dead in their trespasses. And this is what makes a person a Christian is these next three words. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what makes a person a Christian is when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and takes your dead heart and makes your dead heart alive spiritually. And then we were asking about prayer right? Does praying make you a Christian? No, but here's the thing, that when a person's dead spiritual heart has been made alive, do you know what they do? They pray to receive Christ. Talk about good works and going to church and and having a life that, that hates sin and sin's on the way out and righteousness is on the way into that life. When a person's heart is spiritually regenerated, what happens? They love the body of Christ They go to church. They can't wait to be around other Christians. But here's the deal. There's a lot of reasons to go to church. One reason to go to church is because when you go to church, that's where you're spiritually encouraged. It's where you grow. But another reason to go to church is it's where you have friends. It makes you feel good when you go to church. You can do something religious that kind of appeases your conscience and you can go, you you can have the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying you're not okay spiritually. But then you just tell yourself, yeah, but I go to church. I go there every week. I'm a good person. See, there's the right reason to go to church and that's a spiritually regenerated heart. There's the wrong reason to go to church, which is the same reason that people join the Boy Scouts. It's the same reason that they join all kinds of organizations. It's the same reason that people go do good things and they volunteer to feel good. So the thing is, is that when you think about whether or not somebody knows the Lord, when you think about whether or not you know the Lord, we don't measure that by, did I pray a prayer? Do I go to church? Do I do some of the things that the Bible talks about? We measure that by asking ourselves, how does the Bible describe a person with a spiritually regenerated heart? Um, how, does a person, how does God describe that person? If a person had a spiritually regenerated heart, what would they do and how would they think? And we ask ourselves, as I read scripture and as I think about myself, am I living out? a spiritually regenerated heart? Do I have, we'll come back to this later, the mind of Christ? And uh, that's like John 3, 36, right? It says, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. But if you don't obey me, you do not have eternal life. The wrath of God abides on you. Do you know why? Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey me. What does Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say? We are not saved by our works. Um, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Kind of amazing, a uh, bunch of cults will actually try to teach works salvation. And they'll go to James chapter 2 where it talks about how faith without works is dead. And then they'll just say, no, you have to do good things to be saved. Or they'll go to all the passages in the Bible that talk about doing good things. And then they'll teach that by doing these good things, we are saved. When the Bible clearly says nobody is saved by works. You You want to know what the Bible does say, though? When God changes your heart... It starts on the inside, and it works its way out. Um, so works are a reflection of salvation. They are not a cause of salvation. So what we do is we just think about what is spiritual regeneration? What does it look like? You know, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 just says, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The Holy Spirit baptizes us. That is what makes us spiritually alive that's what happens the moment we accept the work of Christ by faith. When we trust Jesus, when God opens up our heart and our mind, and we accept Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? This is what Paul says in Romans 5. It does not matter how much you sin. The more you sin, the more of God's grace there is to cover your sin. You, know, you don't have to worry, man, am I too bad? Have I done too many things wrong? The apostle Paul says, no, the more you sin, the more of God's grace there is to cover that. And then he responds, what about the people who say, well, heck, then let's just sin. And you know what Paul says? It's interesting. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. When you've been baptized into Christ's death, when God has regenerated your heart, It transforms you. It changes you. And so when we're looking around, we're not saying, okay, who does all the really good things? Well, they must be Christians. Who's struggling with sin issues in their life? Well, they must not be Christians. You know, right after Paul talks about this transformation in Romans chapter 6, in Romans chapter 7, he says, but I still struggle with sin. The things in my heart that I really want to do, I find myself not doing. And I find myself doing the things that I hate. Want to know if somebody's a Christian? You don't just look at do you sin or do you do right things. You say, do you love your sin or do you hate your sin? You know, it's like people who, man, they're struggling in a dating relationship, for example. And they just feel this. Man, they just, they just feel this struggle, and they're blowing it physically. They're violating the things that God says in that area of their life. That can happen to Christians, right? But the next day when you wake up and you think to yourself, but I hate that. Why did I do that? What can I change in my life to stop that? It's not the presence of sin. The Apostle Paul still had the presence of sin, but he had a hatred for sin. You know what Christians don't do? They don't take their sin, their rebellion against God and then make decisions to make it permanent. They don't do that. They're running away from it and and they're grieved over their sin. Psalm, Psalm 32 talks about Paul as I was sinning, he was talked about his sin and how his body was wasting away and he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. You know what Paul didn't do? Or I'm sorry King David, you know what King David didn't do? He didn't make decisions to make it permanent. When Nathan shows up to David and he says to David, God says you are a sinner. He tells him a story to help him see it. And he says, you're a sinner. You've done something wrong. You have violated God's commands. David doesn't get mad. David confesses his sin. He says, you're right. I was wrong. And he repents and God forgives him. See, that's actually another thing that you look at. When a person has a spiritually regenerated heart and you confront them in their sin, they don't hate you for it. They thank you for it. Because what we're looking at is not external behavior. We're looking for evidence of a spiritually regenerated heart. And I would just say for you, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote this to this group of people in the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And you are in the faith unless you fail the test. He encourages them, think about your life. Uh, Have you found a checklist of good things? Are you kind of making up your own religion that you're trying to follow? Or do you see evidence that in your heart you have a desire to follow Jesus? You know, when you think about this, There are so many things in Scripture that when we don't think rightly about what the Bible says, it can be confusing. But when you think rightly about spiritual regeneration, you just read through the Bible and it all makes sense. We're not saved by works. There's the presence and struggle of sin. I see the New Testament writers are writing to churches saying, don't do this and don't do this and be careful about this and don't do that. So obviously there's the presence of sin. And so we're not looking for the absence of sin or judging people based on that. But it makes sense when Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. New things have come. You see that lived out in the apostle's life. Peter is this arrogant, prideful person who has these great moments, but then he has these other moments that are just really low moments where Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a tool of Satan. God is speaking through you, Peter. And we see him go from that to this old, gracious, humble, loving man. When you read First and Second Peter, you go, man, that is not the same Peter as is in the Gospels. You see him struggling in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul confronts him. That was one of the first New Testament books written. You just look at this gradual transformation. Do you know why? It's because Paul, Peter was like Paul. You know how Peter, how Paul says, "Um, I hate sin, Uh, the sin that I see in my life, I hate it. When you hate sin, you over time begin to sin less and less and less. You're not sinless, but you sin less. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So those are things that we need to think about. And God wants us, we have received the Spirit of God. There's, he's going to emphasize something else here, That these, this wisdom that God has freely given. Look at the second thing. Teaching and receiving God's wisdom is a work of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of things in the Bible. We just focused on works and how that impacts your life and your desires. But do you know there's another mark of salvation? And he's going to talk about this in the next two sections here. But it is actually your ability to understand spiritual truth. Your ability to understand scripture. It's how you respond to false teachers and how you respond to people who teach truth. See, there are some people that if you can get some kind of a false teacher to rationalize something and say, oh, no, sin all you want. Hey, I know the Bible says this is a sin, but it's actually not really a sin. And you can get these false teachers that will tell people, uh, the New Testament says they t- it tickles their ears, people raise up teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And if there are false teachers that tell people what they want to hear and everyone flocks there, that is a mark of not being a Christian. We're going to find out that the Holy Spirit in your heart draws you to truth. You hear something that's not true and you hear something that's true and when you're a Christian, you are drawn to the truth. When you're not a Christian, you're drawn to your preferences. You're drawn to your sin struggles. But as a believer, God pulls you toward the truth through the Holy Spirit. Let's read about this. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is teaching. Teach, he taught through the Apostle Paul. He taught through the New Testament writers. He was inspiring God's word, inspiring the Bible. When the Bible disagrees with other authorities, the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life is going to draw you to what the Bible says. Um, true Christians, they read the Bible. They read about Jonah. They read about the miracles distru- discussed in Scripture. And the Holy Spirit tells them these things are true. And they believe it and they accept it as God's word. People who are um, skeptics and who read the Bible and go, I don't believe that part. And I don't believe this part either. And, yeah, I don't actually like what it says here, so I don't believe this. And I don't like this, so I don't believe that. That is not a mark of spiritual regeneration. When you read Scripture and you deny it, it says, These things are taught by the Spirit, interpreted, interpreting spiritual truths To those who are spiritual, (laughs) you guys remember the Super Bowl in 2012? Do you remember the statement that caused all this stir? Um, It was um, it was uh, um, the Patriots, the Patriots Super Bowl game, and um, uh, the, the quarterback Tom Brady, his wife afterwards after they lose the game. So the Patriots are the favorite, and they're favored by two and a half you know points. They end up losing the game. And as she's walking out, she criticizes the rest of the team. And she says, you know, my husband, Tom, he can't throw the ball and catch it. You guys remember that? Everybody was all upset. Um, I I don't think Tom is so amazing that he would always throw and always catch. You want to know who does? The Holy Spirit. He always teaches. And the Holy Spirit always receives. That's the blessing, like when you think about, man, how do I sort through what's true and what's not true? Be a person who just reads the Bible, and the Holy Spirit will allow you to understand it. The Holy Spirit will teach you, and the Holy Spirit in your heart will receive and embrace It's a guaranteed successful handoff. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 2.15, right? Paul talks to the Thessalonians, and he says, When we taught, you accepted this not as the words of men, but what it really is, the words of God. That was the Holy Spirit in their heart saying, No, when Paul teaches, this is God's word. The um, Bereans, when he's preaching to the Bereans, he says they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians because they received the word with eagerness. See, the Holy Spirit in your heart makes you eager to hear the truth. You don't argue against it. You don't deny it. You don't reject it. You are eager to have it. And then he says about the, um, the Bereans, he says, but they tested. They checked the scriptures. They examined the scriptures to say, are these things true? See, as Christians, we're eager for the truth, but we measure that by what God's already given us. Now, if Paul, the New, if Paul in the New Testament is writing Scripture and they're examining the Old Testament to say, is what Paul says true? I think for all of us, when we hear truth, we're eager. We come on Sunday morning, we're eager to learn, we're eager to hear. When somebody reads Scripture and points it out to us, we want to know that. But one of the things I think about is when I go to church and somebody's preaching or when I hear a sermon or when I'm at the men's retreat and somebody's preaching a sermon and I think, man... Okay, they're really hitting me there. I'm doing that wrong. I need to change this. I'm not creating this habit in my life. This is the weirdest thing. I love convicting sermons. Man, when I'm somewhere and somebody tells me something I'm doing wrong, I don't leave mad. I leave thankful. And sometimes I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be so hard to deal with that thing in my life. Please help me deal with it. But I love it. My favorite sermons are the convicting ones. But if you go to church and your sinful behavior is identified, um, things in your life, ways that you've rejected God is pointed out, and it irritates you and it makes you mad, that is an expression of a spiritually dead heart, not a spiritually alive heart. Look at verse 14. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. A person whose heart is unregenerated does not accept the things of the Spirit. Um, These theological experts that go on PBS and these various TV uh, stations and they do these shows and deny things in Scripture That is an expression of an unregenerated heart. When you sit in church and you open up the Bible and you read what it says and you reject it and you deny it and you say, that's from a different day at a different time. That doesn't apply to me. No, that's not true. And you rationalize it away. That is the expression of an unregenerated heart. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit They are foolishness to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It takes a spiritually living heart to hear, embrace, and accept the truth. You know, Romans, uh, Paul describes this in Romans chapter 8. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, for the minds." that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Spiritually unregenerated people reject God's truth. But a regenerated person accepts God's truth. You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees when he was talking to them? He said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether my teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. When the, when the Pharisees questioned Jesus, he said, you don't believe me and you don't accept me because you refuse to do what God says. He says in John 14, 26, he, Jesus talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all That I have said. Uh, John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to the truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. First John talks about the anointing we have from the Holy Spirit to draw us to truth. And so that's like a work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. The rejection of what God says is an expression, expression of a lack of regeneration, and so this is the thing. Why does any of this matter? It, it matters because it's important for us to think through whether Satan has lied to us, if we know Christ, if we're Christians. It's, that's an important thing to know. You do not want to be the person who dies, who stands before Jesus thinking that you're okay, and have Jesus look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you because at that moment, it is too late. You know, this is also important as we think through the people that God has put in our life. What a disaster. If you sit next to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, and because you don't know what to look for, you're not evangelizing them. You are not sharing the gospel with them. You are not praying for them. You don't have a sense of spiritual urgency for their condition. I remember being a kid in a swimming pool, and this lady says to me, can you swim? And I said, yeah, I can swim. I was probably like five years old. And I said, yeah, I can swim. And so it's this big, huge like lake, and there's this big, huge water slide. And so I told her I could swim. And so uh, we climb up the ladder, and we go down this water slide way out into the middle of the water. And then she swims off. You know what I did? <laughs> I realized I don't know how to swim. And so I'm out there in the middle of the lake and I'm just kind of thrashing. And every time I could get my head above water, I would take a deep breath. And then I would go underwater and I'm thrashing until I get my head up above water. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I am going to drown. And I was a little kid and I thought to myself, Maybe I could just start drinking the water, and if I could drink enough. I watched too many cartoons. I was thinking I could drink the level of the lake down low enough that I could breathe. So I started, like, taking big, huge gulps of water. And then after a while, I realized that's not going to (laughs) work. And eventually, (laughs) this lady, the Lord, I guess, wanted me here, but she swims back and gets me. And she says, I thought you could swim. Um, How tragic is it if we take a person who can't swim, spiritually speaking, they don't know the Lord, and we encourage them, no, you're okay. I remember when you prayed a prayer. We look at their life, and everything in their life says they don't know the Lord, and instead of trying to put God's word in front of them, instead of having a spiritual urgency, instead of praying for them, instead of sharing the gospel with them, we just kind of feel like, hey, you know what? It's cool. It's kind of like if she walked over and saw me thrashing around out in the middle of the lake, and she's just like, yeah, yeah, he's thrashing, he's swimming. Like, can you look and tell the difference between a person doing a freestyle and somebody thrashing because they can't swim? And I think what's happened is it's tragic, but in the church and in Christianity, we have lost our ability to determine what is salvation, and what does salvation look like, and what is not salvation. And I think it really comes down to this. We don't think about the fact that salvation is not an issue of works. It is about a spiritually living heart, and the New Testament has been written to encourage us, to help us, and so that we'll be able to not look for religious works, but look for evidence of a spiritually regenerated heart. You know, it says in um, this last verse here, the spiritual person, verse 15, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And so here's we're all end. Another expression, and this is where it works and all these things I've been talking about come into play, an expression of true salvation is, do you have the mind of Christ? That is actually true for every Christian. And so we've got to think about that. Does that mean we're omniscient the way Jesus is omniscient? Does that mean we know absolutely everything the way Jesus knows everything? I don't think so. Having the mind of Christ means we think about the world the way God thinks about the world. It means we have a passion to reach the lost and to share the gospel. That's one of the things I think is amazing. A person becomes a Christian, the first thing on their mind is, how do I reach my unsaved family and friends? That is an expression of spiritual re- regeneration. You know, uh, Philippians 2.5, humility, right? Paul tells the Philippians, have this mind in yourselves that was in Jesus, that though he existed in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. Then he goes on and he says, consider other people more important than yourselves. It's having humility, the way Jesus had humility. So let me just ask this question. Why do Christians have different theological views if we have the mind of Christ? And um, this is the first thing I would just say this. I would say this is the the biggest reason is that sometimes we are confused because we have not diligently exposed ourselves to scripture we don't read the bible we don't think about it like this whole thing of works versus spiritual regeneration if we read the bible all the time It will make sense. We will know that. We will understand it. People are confused about whether or not going to church makes you a believer. People are confused when their kids say, oh, I'm a Christian, and then everything in their life is an expression of rebellion against God. People are confused about salvation because they don't read the Bible. They don't read what it says. And the Holy Spirit in them would tell them this is true, would help them understand it, but they don't read it. That's the biggest thing. Secondly, sometimes we haven't been adequately trained. See, when you're a kid and when you're growing up, we're supposed to be trained and taught. In the body of Christ, we're supposed to be training and teaching each other. And often the church is more concerned with morality or raising money or other things than actually teaching people to study and obey and apply God's word. And so sometimes it's actually a lack of teaching. Sometimes we are confused because we've trusted false teachers. The Bible talks about how false teachers come into the church. You know that person that was the president of ETS? That was a false teacher. That was a person who knew godliness but was misleading people. There's all kinds of people who say false Untrue things. And sometimes they are people in high positions. They could be a pastor in a church. They could be somebody that we respect. And because we follow them, we are misled. There are all kinds of false teachings that are promoted. And we hear it from someone we respect. And then we promote that. And we repeat it. Um, I'm going to give you an example of one. You've all heard it. Maybe some of you have said it. (laughs) I've said it until I read the Bible. Have you ever heard this parenting advice? Don't tell people not to do it. Don't tell your kids not to do something. It will only make them want to do it more. That is such a lie from Satan. What does the Bible say? Train up your children in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart. What does Ephesians say about what you're supposed to do with kids? Raise your children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. What does Proverbs say? It says fools hate people who teach them and who instruct them and who give them things. Who's a fool? It's a person with an unregenerated heart. Christians are not spiritual fools. And so if you have a kid who will only want to do things more because you tell them, that means they're not Christians because that's not how a Christian responds to God's truth. Or it could mean that you're not communicating in the right way. So sometimes it's not just the kid's fault. Sometimes it could be our fault. But that is a piece of advice, and there are many things like that that get passed down by people who have ignored the teaching of Scripture. Sometimes we're confused because we follow people instead of God, and that can be a similar kind of thing. And this is the other reason. Sometimes people have different theological views because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Like there are true Christians that disagree with things and there's all those reasons why. But sometimes the reason people have different theological views is they're not spiritually regenerated. And here's how they think about theology. Give me a list of acceptable theological positions. What are the things that I can believe and still be a Christian? Okay, let me pick from that list which one I like. That's how spiritually unregenerated people approach theology. Give me the, all the acceptable views, I'll pick my favorite. The way a spiritually regenerated person approaches theology is they say, what are all the different views? Now, when I study Scripture, which one of these views matches what I read in Scripture? That's the one I'm going to believe. That's a difference between... Unregenerated people and regenerated people, and this is significant. This passage helps us understand. (laughs) I'm gonna. Now we're gonna wrap things up. Don't you want your kids, and don't we want each other to be wise? Don't we want each other to be kind, loving, good, faithful, diligent, and hardworking? Like, are these qualities we want in our lives and in the lives of people around us? Because these are the qualities that a lot of churches are trying to develop apart from Christ. But can I show you something? Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. You want your kids or your friends or yourself to be wise? Fear God. Um, What about being loving, kind, good, faithful, diligent. Did you know that that is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in your life? Some people think, I know if I have the Holy Spirit by if I speak in tongues. But the truth is, you know if you have the Holy Spirit, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we could help people become Christians And then the Holy Spirit working in their life will produce those things. Or we can ignore what God says and we can ignore salvation and we can try to shove those qualities into the life of a person who is a slave to sin. Won't happen. So that list of things, hey, we want that out. We all want that, right? We all want to live that out. But that only matters when it flows out of a relationship with Christ. We're going to take a moment right now and we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is us celebrating that his work on the cross, not because of our works. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. and, And when I do that, I want to ask you to come forward. And when you come forward, take the bread and take the cup. Go back and sit in your chair and think about this. The bread represents the body of Jesus. Jesus was crucified. He died on the cross for your sins. And that cup, that represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you. You are not saved because you're good enough. We are all saved because Jesus was good enough for us. And because we've accepted that, the Holy Spirit transforms us. And do we want to do the right thing? Yes. Are we trying to do the right thing so we can get into heaven? No. Jesus took care of that part. Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. God, help us to be spiritually sensitive. Help us to be encouraged that we can study. We can know the truth. Lord, I thank you that we can be encouraged that no matter how hard a heart is, the people around us and ourselves, anyone, Lord, you can soften any heart. God, we ask that you would do that. We ask that we would be people that cooperate and encourage and reach out. And, Lord, that you would use us to reach the lost. Lord, thank you for spiritual regeneration. Help us to pursue that and help us to live it out in your name. Amen.